0: If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Psalm 111. That's what we'll look at this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Hmm. Um, Psalm 111, we're going through the Psalms. We're not taking every Psalm, but uh, we are taking a few here. We looked at Psalm 110 a couple of weeks ago, and then now uh, Psalm 111 and 112 next week, because they really pa- uh, pair well together. 111 and So we're going to look at both of those. Uh, both Psalms open with a, um, the short, like, celebratory command praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's hallelujah. Both Psalms are, after that opening command, after that hallelujah, praise the Lord, uh, they are carefully composed acrostics. So after the hallelujah, every single uh, what you see here printed as lines, but like half verses or little versets or whatever you call them, um, each one, the the first word of each line, begins with the next consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's well uh, well composed, really skillfully crafted. So it's, it's like um, ABC, always be closing. You know, that movie. All right. Uh, so, you know, ABC, except it's in the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, so it doesn't really translate. You don't really see that. Um, that pattern in the English translation. But uh, both psalms share some other uh, structural similarities. Both psalms are connected by certain themes, and both psalms display common elements of wisdom literature. Wisdom wisdom literature, both having to do uh, explicitly with the fear of the Lord. So Psalm 111 praises um, the works of the Lord, Yahweh. So, when you see that word, Lord, with all caps there, uh, that's translating the word Yahweh. It's God's private, uh, personal name, His covenant name. Uh, psalm 111 praises His works, the, the works of this particular God. Uh, and the and psalm praises the works of the Lord as worthy of our reverence, worthy of our awe, worthy of our fear. And Psalm 112, we'll look at next week, it describes the characteristics of a person who fears the Lord. Characteristics of a person who fears the Lord. And there's this important hinge at the transition between them. So the ending of Psalm 111 and the beginning of Psalm 112 is sort of like this, this hinge. They talk about the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, and it's a frequent refrain that you hear in the wisdom literature in the Scriptures. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 111. We're going to focus on the works of the Lord, especially as they are grounds for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The works of the Lord as the grounds for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be truly wise in a biblical sense, you must fear the Lord, which means you must consider his works. That's what the Psalms about. That's what we'll talk about. Let me uh, pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray for your help uh, as we consider your word together this morning, just as we pray for your help every time we come to your scriptures, not just that they would make sense to us, but that your spirit would open our hearts to you as we hear your scriptures, as we hear your word, as we hear it explained and expounded, as we hear about who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel. We pray that you would open our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we would be transformed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever, holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that last verse is sort of going to um, control our thoughts about the whole rest of the psalm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. God makes it abundantly clear. Abundantly clear through all the scriptures, if you're going to fear anything, you should fear him. In fact, he should be your greatest fear. Really, he should be your only fear. You should be afraid of nothing else. You should be afraid of no one else. That's clear. That's explicit in the scriptures. Phobias which we like to talk about and share. What are you terrified about? What are you irrationally afraid of? Uh, I'm afraid of X, Y, and Z things. Phobias are disorders. They're disorders. We are not meant to have phobias. We should not be afraid of the dark, little children. We should not be afraid of spiders. We should not be afraid of heights. We should not be afraid of other people. We should not be afraid of the unknown. The most frequent command in the scriptures is do not be afraid, which we really should hear more as like a soothing comfort. Do not be afraid than as a rebuke. But we also find repeatedly in the scriptures with great frequency, fear God. Fear God. Do not be afraid fear God. And actually, in the New Testament, the Greek, original Greek word, phobos, from which we get the words phobias, obviously, uh, the Greek word phobos is used for that. If you're going to have a phobia that isn't a disorder, that isn't irrational, it's going to be theophobia. It's going to be the fear of God. We've got to understand what that means. There really is an element of terror, that idea, phobia, Phobos really does have an element of terror in it, and there is an element of terror included in that fear of God, but the fear of God is bigger than just you melting in a pile of gibbering terror. It's bigger than that. It's it's total awe. It's complete and utter reverence of God. And it's a fear that is, is perfectly compatible with love. Perfectly compatible with loving God, is fearing God. The overarching response of our whole being to God, to who He is, to what He's done, to what He says, to what He promises, our, the overarching response, As we see it in the great commandment, is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's, it's to be love. And that response apparently has to include fearing Him. Fearing. It's probably right to say that the fear of the Lord is actually a feature of your love for him. It's a feature of your love for him, which I realize might be difficult to understand. Um, I'm not super great at analogies and illustrations. I should have asked for help, Nathan, (laughs) this week to figure out. uh, um, Nathan's really good with instant analogies. Um, I think it's something like the love that a very small child, maybe a toddler even, has for a great big father. Uh, the child is so impressed by the goodness of the father and the strength of the father. The father overwhelmingly commands the child's attention. The child really can't think of anything but the father when the, in the father's presence, right? And the vision of the father crowds out all other cares, all other fears, all other worries. The child can't possibly comprehend everything about the father. There's something unpredictable about the father, and there's something startling about this great big father. But the child doesn't run screaming from the father's greatness. The child loves the father, loves to be in his presence, and trusts the father's greatness, but it is, it is greatness. It is greatness, and something in love's response to greatness can be called fear. The fear of the Lord is evoked by his absolute greatness. His absolute greatness is what evokes our fear, our loving fear of him. We fear him because we know him. Even though God is not a a tame lion to quote Mr. Beaver from Narnia, uh, he's not a tame lion. Even though there's something unpredictable and startling about him, we can't possibly comprehend everything about this God. The fear of the Lord is is not primarily the fear of the unknown. Fear of the Lord is the fear of the one that we love and the one that we trust and the one that we actually do know. We fear him precisely because we know him, because we know his works. That's what this psalm is about. Because we know his absolute greatness that overwhelmingly commands our attention, we fear him. So verse 2, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. The works of the Lord uh, that are being described here in uh, in verse 2 and uh, throughout the rest of the psalm, they're being described here as great, as full of splendor and majesty, as faithful and just. And when the psalmist is talking about all these great, splendid, majestic, faithful, just works, in particular, the psalmist is talking about the works of the Lord uh, in the Exodus. In the Exodus. So the exodus of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, which you, you can read about in the book of Exodus, it was the greatest thing that had ever happened for the people. It's the greatest thing. Uh, verses 5 and 9, it says that God remembered his covenant promises, his, his covenant promises to Abraham to bless and care for his descendants. That's what he was doing in the exodus. Verse 3, God worked wonders on their behalf to deliver them out of Egypt. Tremendous miracles worked on behalf of his people to deliver them out of Egypt, out of severe oppression and slavery, demonstrating his power and his care for them. Uh, Verse 4, God gave them the Passover feast so that they could celebrate and remember and commemorate his wondrous works. Uh, God made himself known to them as the Lord, a God gracious and merciful. Read about that in Exodus Verses 7 and 8, on Mount Sinai, God gave the people His law, which isn't just a set of rules to live by so that you can get ahead in life, do the right thing all the time. It's a revelation of Himself. It's a, it's a revelation of what it looks like for a human being to live in right relationship with Him. It's a revelation of His character and how we should resonate with His character. And He committed Himself to them at Mount Sinai. He committed Himself to His people in a permanent relationship, that covenant. And verse 5, God fed them with bread and with quail in the desert uh, and gave them water from the rock. It says in verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. I think that's being a little bit generous because if you read the story, they're just complaining all the time. They're complaining. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? No, no. Here's some water. Here's some bread. Here's some Birds, a flock of birds, just magically, you know, um, to, to provide for them. He provides food. Nevertheless, he, in, verse, in verse 6, it says he demonstrated the power of his works over and over again as he, took, as he took the land, what belonged to the nations, and he gave it to his people, just as he had promised long ago. God rescued his people out of the hell of Egypt, so to speak, And brought them into the heaven of Canaan, the promised land, a place where they would dwell with him in the midst of abundance. He made good on his word, on his promise, which had stood for hundreds of years. He remembers his covenant forever, it says in verse 5. So let me just point out the obvious. This is all really good. These things are very good. All of this, All of these works. These are great and splendid, and majestic, and faithful, and just things that God has done. And if you know his great works, his good works, and if you delight in them and you study them, you will love him and you will fear him. We don't fear him because his works are corrupt. We don't fear him because his works are twisted. We fear him because his works are great and full of splendor and majesty. That's why we're afraid of him. We don't fear Him because He's erratic or capricious. We fear Him because He is absolutely loyal and faithful. We don't fear Him because He's cruel or evil. We fear Him because He is just and He is good like no one else. That's why we fear Him. We fear Him because His righteousness endures forever. The proper response to Him and His works are to fear Him. We fear him because we know him and because we know his works. For the ancient Israelites, the fear of the Lord came from the knowledge of him as the God of the Exodus. That's the greatest salvation event in the history of his his relationship with his people by the time that this psalm was written. For us Christians, the fear of the Lord comes from the knowledge of him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the fear of the Lord comes from because we know him. And what he's done for us as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has remembered his eternal covenant. Plans and promises that were made before the foundation of the world. God has delivered us, as Katie read in our New Testament reading from Colossians 1. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. From servitude to the devil. From bondage to sin, slavery to sin. And ourselves, slavery to ourselves. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, that purchase price out of slavery, that rescue, that deliverance. We have redemption in his blood, and we have the forgiveness of sins. God has fed us with the very word that proceeds from his mouth by giving us Jesus Christ. He's fed us with the bread of life, the bread come down from heaven. God has qualified us, again from Colossians 1, He's qualified us to share in the inheritance, not just of a a little spot of land in the Middle East, but to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has not taken just, just what belonged to the nations. He's given the nations themselves to His people in the church. He's brought the nations in. God has quite literally snatched us out of heaven, out of hell into heaven. And we will live with him now, right now. And we will dwell with him forever. In heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, in eternity, we will dwell with God and it will be in the midst of abundance. <clears throat> it says in Hebrews 1, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. He's made himself known. God has made himself known once and for all in the person and the works of Jesus Christ and his greatest work. Psalm I mean, talking about the works of God, the wondrous works of God, his greatest work of salvation in the history of his relationship with his people was at the cross, where he worked wonders on behalf of his people. The cross of Jesus Christ is full of splendor and majesty. The cross is where we know God's absolute faithfulness and his eternal justice. The cross is where we're overwhelmed with the great power of God. The cross is where God commands our attention and fills our vision. The cross is where we come to know God in all of his terrible goodness. The cross, the cross where sinners like us murdered Jesus, a place of a bloody death, Where God sent his son to die for his people. That's, that's where the wondrous works of the Lord are on display. So if you want to learn to fear the Lord, remember the cross. You delight in the cross. You study the cross. Study all the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. For they're all great. They're all full of splendor and majesty. They're all faithful and just. And his absolute greatness evokes the fear of the Lord. Which is the beginning of wisdom. So this is where we can sort of get practical, because wisdom is supposed to be practical, right? Helpful to your daily life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't just mean if you were smart, if you really knew what was good for you, you'd be afraid of God. That's not not what that means. The fear of the Lord isn't just the sensible starting point that... Then once you make sure you've got that, you sort of set it aside, and now you can pursue uh, wisdom, turn your thoughts to acquiring wisdom. It it could be said, I think a good translation would be that the the fear of the Lord is the chief part of wisdom, or the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Every little bit of wisdom for life is grounded in, it's built upon the fear of the Lord, every bit of it. In the Bible, wisdom isn't just how to get by. It's not just how to get ahead. It's not just how to successfully get your way. Wise people know how to get what they want. In the Bible, wisdom isn't just how to get through life with minimal regrets. In the Bible, wisdom is knowing how to live all of life with God, with God relationally, not out on your own. But with it, wisdom doesn't mean comprehending everything about God and about his ways. It can't possibly mean that. We can't. It's It's impossible for finite creatures, even if we were perfect, to be able to comprehend everything about God. You can't wrap your minds around him. So it doesn't mean that. But wisdom means living in light of what God has made known about himself. He's made a lot known about himself and about his ways and the things that he's done. Wisdom. Is knowing that all of life, every little bit of it, is a response to God and a response to his works, a response to what he's done for us. Wisdom is knowing that who he is and what he does is always the most important thing in every single situation. Wisdom is knowing about how he works. Knowing something about how he works, how to recognize his work, how actually he really is with you, even when it might seem otherwise. Wisdom is knowing that. He really is with you, even though it might seem otherwise. Wisdom is knowing he can bring us to victory through what seems like utter defeat. That's how he works. Wisdom is knowing that he's more concerned with the heart. Then with outward appearances, that's what he's going to be doing. That's how he's going to be working on you. Wisdom is knowing not to judge God by your circumstances. You look and see how things are going in your life, and you say, yes, God must be good. Or, nope, God must be bad, because look how things are going. Wisdom is knowing not to judge God by your circumstances, but to let his revelation of himself Be the rock-solid thing that shapes how you see all of your circumstances. Wisdom is knowing how to do that. Wisdom is knowing that you go to Him for help, ultimately, and always. That you go to Him for help. And wisdom is not having the wrong expectations about what that help might look like. Wisdom is knowing how all of your real needs are met in him, that all of your truest and deepest longings are fulfilled in him. Wisdom is knowing that his commands are good. Even when keeping them doesn't make sense, do you? Even when keeping them means trouble in this world for you. Wisdom is knowing that God exalts the humble and the submissive. And that he brings low the proud. That that's how he works. That's what he does. Wisdom is keeping your attention on the Lord through everything in life because the circumstances of your life, they might change when you don't want them to change. Or the circumstances of your life might not change when you do want them to change. But whatever the case, you may live your life with him. All of it. You may live your life with him. Wisdom is knowing how to live all of life with God. Not just out on your own. And the foundation for this wisdom is the fear. It's the fear of him. Not a fear that runs away screaming, but a fear that is drawn to his greatness, that sees his greatness and trusts his greatness. A fear that knows that he is a great big God who works in wondrous ways, stupefying ways. So if you want true wisdom, it comes from the fear of the Lord, which comes from a knowledge of the works of the Lord. Those things always go together. You can't have true wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord that understands his works, knows his works. The first wise response of the one who fears the Lord is praise. You see that uh, sort of bookends here in our psalm that the first verse, praises the Lord, and the last verse ends, his praise endures forever. Um, it says in, in verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. So if you fear the Lord, it's pretty basic. You come to church and you praise him together with us. Incidentally, I think we have justification in verses like this, um, where you have a, a single individual speaker talking about his participation in the congregation and uh, sometimes sounds like he's doing something maybe as a leader in the congregation or as someone uh, distinct in the congregation. I I think you actually have, this is incidental, uh, justification for solo singers, um, preludes, offertories, uh, choirs, uh, people who are singing on behalf of the congregation. Not so incidentally, that idea and verses like this, they ultimately point to Jesus who is the true praise leader of his people. He's the true representative of God's people who perfectly fears the Lord and is truly thankful on our behalf when we're not thankful. But more on that next week, Psalm 112. The one who fears the Lord will, verse 2, study his works with delight, ponder them, meditate on them with delight. So This is where wisdom for life comes from. Studying the works of the Lord, studying the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where wisdom for life comes from. Every once in a while, some of you actually come to your pastor for help and ask for counsel. In some area of your life, uh, some of your relationships or whatever, uh, you've probably noticed by now, I'm not interested in giving you nifty tricks and strategies, um, just how to do things better, how to do something better. Uh, I'm like a broken record. I can't help it. I just remind you of the gospel, right? Figure out how this connects with the gospel. We remind you of the works of the Lord. And we work out from there what it means to live with God in the situation that you're in. That's what we'll talk about. So when you're totally stressed out and you don't know how to face your life, I don't talk about doing breathing exercises. Somebody else can do that. That's fine. That's fine. You need the wisdom that is built on the fear of the Lord Which comes from being more impressed by his greatness than the the greatness of the things going on in your life. Or from being encouraged by his presence and care when it seems you just gotta tackle everything in your own strength, and that's why you're freaking out. You could be encouraged by his presence and care instead, because of God, because of his wondrous works. You stressful people, you have the privilege of facing what causes you stress with Him. You have the privilege of letting Him rework your response to those stressful things. It might not change the circumstances of your life. It'll change the way you walk through your life, and you'll walk through it with Him. When you think about who He is and what He's done for you, that's the kind of wisdom you really need, isn't it? That's biblical wisdom. That's what we want. That's what we're interested in. When you're lost in enslaving sins, wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord, you need that. So, So we're going to talk about what he has done for you that no other gods have done for you. No other gods would ever do for you. They may make promises to you. They'll break those promises. He remembers his promises forever. We'll talk about what he's done to free you from their power, from their slavery, their their enslavement. We're going to talk about the power of his works. When you're feeling dazed and confused as a parent... You need the wisdom that's built on the fear of the Lord. So, so we're going to talk about who God is and how he works and what he's doing in your life. What are the things he's really doing? What are the things he really cares about, that he's demonstrated that he cares about because he's addressing these things in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're going to talk about those things, and we're going to talk about the power of how he can change your life and change the way that you engage with your children. That's what we'll talk about when you face perplexing circumstances at work. Wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord is what you need, so we're going to talk about the gospel. We have a great big God. We know a great big God. And His absolute greatness evokes the fear of Him, the fear of the Lord. And that's the foundation for wisdom, for knowing how to live with Him. And this is the wisdom we want to help others with. This is the wisdom we want to transmit to our children or share with our friends or family who don't yet know the Lord. We want to teach others to pursue true wisdom through the fear of the Lord by focusing on His great works in the Gospel. That's what we're going to talk about. And we'll delight in them, we'll study them, we'll talk about them. And if any of you lacks wisdom, as as God says through the Apostle James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on who he is and what he's done for us, that as you keep our eyes fixed on the gospel and on your works and on your greatness, your Holy Spirit would cultivate the fear of the Lord in us, which is the beginning of wisdom, and you would grant us real wisdom to know what it means to live life with you, to live life in response to who you are and what you've done for us. We pray these things would make more and more sense as we go through life as the most practical and concrete help that we need as we face everything in life. We need to face life with you and not apart from you. And so we need to fear you, and so we need to know your works. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this great work that you have done for us and will continue to do in us Through the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.